Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host... I guess there's only one thing left to do. What's that? Win the whole f-ing thing. Yeah. Yes. Michael Preston. Something good happen on Friday night? I miss something? Seriously, somebody tell me. Something happen, Something good happen on Friday night? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm still delirious. Still delirious from it. Welcome to the Kook Center Hour. Big show ahead. Previewing the Oregon game, first road test of the year for Washington State. Theo Lawson from the Spokesman Review going to stop by. Ryan Thorburn from the Eugene Register Guard going to be here too. But first. (laughs) I'm still having a hard time wrapping my head around it. I mean, I'm legitimately having a hard time wrapping my head uh, around what I watched. A WSU team that legitimately outplayed the number five team in the country. And I don't care if they were overrated, who was hurt, whatever. WSU guy had guys that were hurt. And we we play the guys were hurt excuse game for every single game on the schedule practically. For any team you lose to that is ranked higher than you. Washington State beat USC. I don't care who was hurt. I, I don't care. They still had Sam Darnold. They had Ronald Jones back. They had Deontay Burnett. They still had one of the best defenses in the conference. And Washington State beat them. Like, I, I'm, I'm sorry. That, that is how that goes. That is how that storyline goes for me. And when that final horn sounded, I guess it isn't really a horn, but when that clock hit zero and I saw people pouring over the railings of Martin Stadium onto the field, to celebrate a win over the number five USC Trojans. There was totally no one crying in my row. Nobody crying in section four, row 10. And it definitely also wasn't me. Don't let anybody take that away this week. Don't let anybody take away the fact that you, that Washington State beat USC. And that that game had stones. I told you to be back. That game had stones. Stones. 
Stones. They outplayed the number five team in the country. They thoroughly outplayed them. Yes, the game was only a three-point win. But tell me when they're down 14-10 and Luke Falk throws that pick at the two-yard line and the defense stands up and only allows three points. When do we see that happen with a Washington State team in the past? We just don't. When do we see 90-plus yard drives against USC? When do we see Kyle Sweet bounce back from dropping a couple of passes, make a big fourth down catch? When do we see Washington State running backs gash USC for huge yardage? When do we see Washington State running backs who score touchdowns on shovel passes give the V for victory to the USC fan section and mean it because they were going to win that football game? You don't. This, like, look, there's, there's part of the territory that comes with doing a podcast, talking about the team frequently and giving your, your, your prediction about how they're going to do. I said seven and five before the year. That's clearly wrong. (laughs) Like, because they're not going to go two and five over the last seven games. Not if they continue playing like this. They're just not. I'm, I'm still over the moon. I'm still completely and utterly in shock and and happy and, and bewildered and all of it. All of it. I'm still bewildered by the fact that the unit that has kept this team in more games and been more responsible for their wins this year is the defense. Somebody, if somebody tells you so many years ago they thought that would be the case... At any point with Mike Leach in Mike Leach's tenure at Washington State, they're lying. Liar. Wash that mouth out with soapy water. Liar. But they were again on Sat on Friday night, despite the good performance from the offense. From the two-yard line, they kept USC out of the end zone after having just been out on the field. They kept him out of the end zone. I mean, my God, that game could have been over right then and there. And I, if they had punched it in for a touchdown, I thought it was. But it wasn't. It absolutely was not. That win had stones. Big, gritty, humongous, road-crushing, expectation-shattering stones the University of Southern California at home you beat them by three under the lights on Friday night only the only game on the menu and I know it was late at night I know the game didn't get over until two in the morning on the east coast but what we said, what I said all last week, when anybody, you know, why didn't ESPN keep this game on Saturday so they could do game day? Why, 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 why? They needed the inventory on a Friday night, and it showed. They got rewarded for it on Friday night. Because here's what at least I observed the day after. I decided to stay in Pullman all day and celebrate. 
Also, because we had the hotel room Saturday night, I couldn't leave Thursday night, so we stayed. All the highlights you saw all day long on Saturday. All the halftime highlight shows, all the pregame, postgame, anything, all had highlights from that game. Do you think for a minute, if that game had been late on Saturday night, going into an NFL Sunday, that there would have been nearly as much hype, nearly as much excitement around it all day on Saturday. Almost a benefit to Washington State that that game was played on Friday night. That they won it in such exciting fashion as Jihad Woods coming free and strip-sacking Sam Darnold. By the way, after that play, I don't think I've ever leapt higher in the air out of joy. I might I might have actually risen past the club seats. And if anybody was sitting up there and you wondered why you saw a guy jump that high, but you thought like gravity had turned off temporarily, my apologies. It was just me jumping higher than I ever conceived I could. It almost benefited you to have that game on a Friday night. Actually, not almost. It did benefit you to have that game on a Friday night. It was clearly a benefit to have that game on a night where the only other interesting game was Utah State-BYU. And even then, that wasn't that interesting because despite the fact that BYU doesn't consider it a rivalry, the Aggies beat them again and they look terrible. Haha, don't use Gokugs, it's ours. I can't get over what an incredible win that was. I don't care how many players were hurt for USC. I don't care how Sam Darnold didn't play well. I don't care about any of that. They caused Sam Darnold to not play well. They made Sam Darnold have a difficult time playing well. They kept the USC running game in check with their great true freshman and with Ronald Jones back in the backfield. They kept that running game in check. They moved the ball on the USC defense. When it really counted the most, they moved the football. They won that football game. USC didn't lose it. USC... Fine, they had injured players, but it doesn't matter. Washington State won that football game. You cannot take that away from them. Don't let anybody... You're still celebrating here all week. I don't care. Nobody gets to take away from you that Washington State beat USC, a top five team, at home in September. Nobody gets to take that away. Period. Nobody. What a ball game. What a friggin' football game. And I want to make sure, before we, before I forget here, Eric Powell, my man, got, hey, let's, let's just not have him punt anymore. <laughs> that's, that's not a strength, and that's fine. I don't expect... Like, I don't expect kickers to be good at punting or vice versa. 
But all of a sudden, Eric Powell is very dependable. And after his incredibly slow start last year, what, he went like 0 for 6, 0 for 7, something like that? He's missed one field goal, and that was blocked. Kudos to Eric Powell for drastic improvement from his junior season. And he kicked a game-winning field goal on Friday night. A little pressure on that kick from the wrong hash, too. What a football game. I practically skipped to Valhalla for the one pitcher of beer we got there because the line got way too long. Absolutely positively giddy that they won that football game. And now you get to go down to Eugene for your first road time. And by, by the way, I almost forgot to mention this. They're, bowl el- they're one win away from being bowl eligible and it is now October 3rd. That's insane. Now you get to go on the road. First road test of the year. And it's a biggie in Eugene against Oregon. An Oregon team that looks better than I thought they would be. I I thought they were firmly fourth or fifth in the north this year. But they, I mean, and they very well still could finish fourth in the north because of UW and Stanford playing well. But I, I thought they were firmly down at the bottom of the division. And that is just not the case. They're not going to have Justin Herbert. They may not have Royce Freeman. They may not have Dylan Mitchell. And we'll talk to Ryan Thorburn about that in a little bit. But Autzen is still a tough place to play, no matter how good or bad they are. And last time you were down there, you won a hell of a football game <laughs> in 2015. But you have Willie Taggart there now trying to rebuild the program. You have Jim Levitt. The defensive coordinator that did such excellent work with Colorado's defense. He's doing great work with Oregon's defense again. This is a test. There's a reason why Oregon is favored in this game, and I don't object to it too much. Here's the thing. Oregon, better than we all thought they were going to be. More recently, a very nationally relevant program. It's on the road. WSU's first road game of the year. And WSU, for the first time in a very long time, is ranked this high at this point in the season. Like, I get why the line went where it went. Okay? Like you just you just gotta look at it look at it that way. But this a, a game I think WSU is expected to win. I mean, obviously they should be because of their ranking. But a game you're expected to win if you're WSU. And that is so odd saying that going to Eugene that you are expected to win a football game in Eugene, Oregon. Given the iterations of teams I've seen there over the last 10 plus years. Very odd feeling to say that. But come Saturday night, they could be officially, I mean, you know, five wins, you kind of get into a bowl if you want to now. But come Saturday night, they could be bowl eligible six games into the season. (laughs) It's just, that's insane. That is insanity. Wow. What a friggin' football game. <laughs> Theo Lawson coming up next here on the Coop Center Hour.
Back here on the Coog Center Hour. Second appearance now for the new beat writer, the Spokesman Review, covering Washington State University Athletics, specifically the football team right now. Mr. Theo Lawson joins us here on the podcast. Uh, have you chipped in any money to help pay the fine? Or like, are they just turning all the reporters upside down when you come into Bowler and you know holding you up by your legs and shaking the coins out? Yeah, I, I haven't seen any, any uh, GoFundMe pages just yet, which, which is funny that now that there actually is a fine, there aren't any GoFundMe pages, and, and when there was no fine, that there was a, a page that received, I think it was about $700. Uh, if uh, they ask me, I, I certainly won't contribute. Uh, I think I think the school will be, will be glad to pay that one. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll direct people now to the website where you can go to help pay the fine. It's cougarathleticfund.com. And they will be ha- they will be happy to take your money for you, uh, especially after that big win, uh, first one over top five team since two thousand and three. Uh, Theo, just describe the feeling for me, these guys, because it, it's it's kind of funny because the little time I spent covering the team, you can definitely tell the difference in these guys coming out of the locker room to talk to the media after a big win or after a loss, and just describe the mood for me in that conference room uh, in Bowler after the game. Well, it was uh, it was kind of pandemonium, and then you know it was kind of like you saw the people rush onto the field and like, oh, all right, we're doing this again two weeks after the Boise State game. So it just kind of became, uh, I guess, something they're going to do every five games here at, the, at Martin Stadium. No, but it was it was it was a, of course a big win, and, and you know you can you can kind of try to downplay this game, and, and of course they tried to do that throughout the week. It's, it's just another game. It's the next one on the schedule. It's one of the the twelve guaranteed games we get. Although at this point, it's uh, there's going to be thirteen guaranteed games at least. So. Um, they, they tried to downplay it, and, and of course, they, they all knew the stakes. They, they, they all knew how uh, the magnitude of this game, and then you, you, you could definitely see it in, in the post-game press conference. Uh, would have would have liked to talk to Jamal Morrow about his uh, his, his fight-on symbol that, that he threw after the touchdown there in front of the USC fans. That would have been kind of fun to get his perspective, being an LA guy who was probably overlooked by USC. Um, but uh, it, it, it was it was one of the better press conferences to be in, and, and Mike Leach sure enjoyed the win, and Luke Falk and. All those guys certainly knew what it meant for the program. I think, uh, taking from your perspective on high in the press box there, what was the thing that impressed you the most uh, about this football team on Friday night? Because I think, you know, we've we've all had a lot of time to chew on it. I think for me it's uh, the defense just continues to play out of their out of their skulls this year. But what impressed you the most uh, about that win on Friday night? Yeah, well, I get to the defense. But, but I think just in general, you know, this, this is technically considered an upset, 16 over 5. Um, it, it, it really wasn't much of an upset, just just because I, I think Washington State was every bit as good as, as that USC team. Now I know USC was banged up. Uh, you know we're playing without one starting offensive lineman. Two more dropped uh, during the game, and, and their, their top receiver Deontay Burnett might have might not have been fully healthy. But uh, you know Washington State had its injuries too. They're, they're playing still playing without Peyton Pluer, which is pretty significant. They lose Isaac Dodson, so all of a sudden your your middle linebackers are Todd Woods. Richard Freshman, who's, who's making his, his second start, and uh, Nate Ryder, who, who earned a scholarship, you know, just more than a month ago. So mm-hmm. I think I think Washington State has had some injury problems of their own. Um, Dig Wire didn't play in this game, so um, you know, I, I, I think from a talent standpoint, I, I think you still look at USC as maybe the more talented team. They have the four-star guys, the five-star guys at every position, and and usually have four or five of them at every position. So, um, but but it, but it just looked like Washington State was. Every bit as good as USC. Every bit as talented on this night, at least. And uh, and I, I wouldn't have been surprised that you know had, had Washington State won by more than you know a couple of points. Mm-hmm. 
I look at Luke Falk's uh, stat line from Friday night. It's not, you know, it's not the most impressive one he's ever had, uh, but it at least seems to me that he he did exactly what he needed to do uh, in that football game for his team to win it. Outside of that one pick he threw inside the five yard line, um, he just he seemed to operate the offense uh, as well as we've seen him do it all year. Again, now for the third straight game, do you think I, we kind of called that Oregon State a get right game, and for the third game, he seems to be. Uh, getting right still. Would that be your uh, observation on it as well? Yeah, well, he, he sure seems right to me right now. Um, you know, like you said, that, that Oregon State game was the one where we all kind of expected him to bounce back, knowing what he what he'd done to Oregon State in the past, and, and that that was that was a game that that, that he certainly needed to have. So um, I, I think that helped him. He's been progressing ever since. And, and really, when you look at the stat line from from Friday. 34 for 51, but there were so many drop balls in that game too. That mm-hmm. I think he's probably completing almost 40 passes. If, if uh, you know Jameer Calvin doesn't drop a pass in the end zone, and there were just a, a number of other uncharacteristic uh, drop, drops. Kelsey had a few, I believe, and so I think he, he almost played better than his, than his stat line indicated. Only only two touchdowns, but uh, that, that, that's exactly what they needed. He's 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 playing tough. He's you know he's he's getting hit a lot right now, and uh, I think the offensive line still could kind of hit another level in terms of the pass protection, but you, you just saw some of those, those, those hits that he took, and uh, the, the one where he uh, he aired it out to Renard Bell and just got leveled by a USC player, got right back up, and he's, he's taken so many hits in his career. It's, it's it's outstanding that he just keeps getting up, getting up, getting up, because a lot of quarterbacks probably wouldn't do that, but he's a senior. This is what this is what Luke Falk does. This is what Washington fans have mm-hmm. kind of come to know him for, and, uh, and he's only getting better, and I, I certainly want to, wouldn't want to be playing him this week. I saw uh, your old colleague uh, Jacob Thor put something on Twitter. Uh, I was on Friday night, I believe, uh, and I'm I'm inclined to agree with him because I'm I was guilty of this too. Uh, was focusing a lot on James Williams in the past and how good he is, and I don't think we've given enough pub to Jamal pub rather sorry to J- Jamal Morrow. Uh, the guy again had another outstanding game against USC, almost 100 yards rushing. He had the greatest celebration of a touchdown I've ever personally seen, throwing up the victory. Uh, symbol straight at the USC uh, fan section. He just—I I, don't—I don't know if it's a matter of him being underrated because he certainly isn't anymore. Do you think some more fans are taking notice to uh, just how good this guy really is? Yeah, well, I said, well, when, it, when, it, when you look at the, the athletic ability of James Williams, I, I think the feeling that he still has, the fact that he's hurtling, you know, one or two defenders every game, which uh, Jim Nash was still happy about. But <laughs> I, I think he—I I think he still has the, the, maybe the high ceiling of, of the running back, and he still. The guy that, that maybe you can see most making an impact on the NFL team in a few years, and you kind of do forget about forget about a guy like Jamal Morrow, who is you know probably more effective in the passing game than, than James Williams. Although uh, they, they seem to like the, the, the shovel pass with both of those guys, but um, you, you're you're just impressed with what, what what Morrow can do, kind of in clutch situations, and, and kind of the heart that he plays with to, to, to be able to to turn a shovel pass into a touchdown there late, mm-hmm. and then broke broke off a huge run to, to set up that last Eric Kelsey goal. He's he's uh, He's playing well in the, in the most important uh, moments of games. He's, he's not maybe um, getting quite the stats that that, that the guy like James Williams is capable is capable of getting. But uh, yeah, he's, he's he's impressive. He's a senior. This is kind of what you expect him to do. And um, he's he's been one of the, the most productive offensive players in the school's history. So uh, you know, I, I think it's about time that he probably deserves a little more uh, attention mm-hmm. from, from people like me. We, uh, I mean, all week before the game, I talked about how good Hercules Mott off is, and it's no secret how good he is to WSU fans. And I think after Friday night, it's no secret to anybody across the country 
uh, how good he is. I believe uh, Willie Taggart. Willie Taggart called him like what he called him like a guy's guy. I don't remember exactly what he called him in his press conference uh, today, but it's it's pretty much that it's no secret how good this dude is uh, anymore. Everybody's gonna pretty much be looking to double team him. I would assume from this point on, correct? Because he was dominant against USC again for the fifth straight game so far this year. He was just absolute havoc in the backfield. Yeah, well, well uh, Willie Tiger's exact words were he's, he's a war daddy. I'm not there sure you go, thank another, you. Yeah. Another nickname that a defensive player would want to have it. You know, I think that's something that you put on your tw- Twitter profile and kind of kind of use as a nickname, and maybe there's a T-shirt uh, here in the, in the next few weeks that, that uh, it says Hercules Modoff is a war daddy. That, that's amazing. And, and Clay Allen also said on the, on the conference call that he's as good of a defensive player as, as they've seen, not just this season, but – um, since he's been with the Trojans, and, and they see a lot of great defensive players every year, so uh, he, he is finally kind of getting the recognition, recognition that he deserves. We talked about Joel Amaro. People are finally seeing what uh, Hercules Mataafa can do, um, and, and you know, of course, when you're the number 11 team in the nation, you get the exposure anyway. So um, people are taking notice. I, I think which, what you said about the double teams, I, I think you have to. Um, I'm not sure if it really helps, just because I, I think Daniel Wally is playing really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, even even Derek Moore had a great game, and it kind of, kind of frees up the linebackers too. You saw uh, Jahad Woods break break free for for an open sack on, on Sam Darnold the last play of the game. So you can take your chances double teaming him. Um, if, if you don't double team him, he's, he's going to get to the quarterback anyway. Um, so so I, I still think that probably is the best strategy if, if you're an opposing team. Um, but but I, you know it, it, it seems at this point that there's not a lot of uh, ways that opponents can, can kind of stop that front seven from getting to the quarterback. It's just creating a lot of mm-hmm. um, havoc back there for, for opposing quarterbacks. And then Sam Darnold just had his, his worst game of his college career because of that, that Washington State pass rush. And it's not all sunshine and rainbows. I don't want to just, you know, I mean, yes, we all had a wonderful feeling on Friday night after that game. But uh, you mentioned it earlier, and the drops from receivers just really were not – uh, encouraging Kyle Sweet had a couple. Jameer Calvin had that big one in the end zone. Uh, it, it it seems to be a bit of a bugaboo uh, so far this season that these receivers are dropping passes. I, I don't know exactly what you do to fix it, but is I, this seems to be a bigger problem than uh, it has been in years past for WSU. I know you haven't been covering the team, but you, you've certainly watched games, and I, I can't be alone in thinking this is this is a bigger problem than we've seen recently. I think I think it is a little bit of a problem. I, you know, I don't think it's a, an overwhelming problem right now, just because they're going to throw the ball so many times in a game that it's, I think you're just going to kind of get used to the setting in that game, get used to the, the defense that that specific team is playing. And I think you're going to end up making a lot of plays in, in this offense, just because you know you're going to get you know 50, 50 chances to catch a football. So you saw that uh, during Friday's game that the receivers looked more comfortable as the game kind of progressed. Uh, but but yeah, it, it is still a problem. A lot of the, a lot of these guys are still. Relatively new, you don't have Gabe Marks and then River Craycraft out there. It's a Trenard Bell who's who's been excellent, but still playing some of his first games. Jameer Calvin is such a newbie. Uh, Isaiah Johnson Mackis is still kind of getting the, the first real opportunities of, of his career. Um, but but you know when, when you look like a guy like uh, Tavares Martin Jr., he's he's made a few drops as well. So mm-hmm. I, I think it is a problem. It's, it's, it's I'm sure something that Mike Leach is going to drill this week. Uh, with with uh, the receivers coaches as well, Derek Sage and Dave Nickel, but um, it's it's something that I wouldn't expect to really last, just, just because these guys get so many reps in practice mm-hmm. and, um, and and they're going to have so many opportunities in games. So I, I think once once they get a few more games under belt, I, I am interested to see how they how they handle that uh, in a true road atmosphere like Austin Stadium. It's going to be loud, so um, you know I, I think it'll be tough to make a lot of catches 
you know, with, with that crowd kind of howling mm-hmm. down on you. But like, like I said, I, I think a lot of these guys are still relative newbies, um, and, and it's just, they kind of have to, to go through these, these moments and, and kind of learn from them. Go back to the defense. Uh, it seems like we talked about before we started recording here, it seems like Alex Grinch hasn't gotten the memo about uh, not reporting on at least the severity or how long an injury is going to keep somebody out because he said he expects Isaac Dotson to play against Oregon. Also, Nambi Aguayo uh, is day-to-day with whatever injury it is that he's dealing with. Uh, he just he just didn't get the memo from Mike Leach about not talking about uh, injuries, did he? I guess not. And, you know, like we were talking about, it's, it's interesting who, who – gets the memo and who, who doesn't and then what, what's what's allowed to be talked about because uh you know like, like i told you a number a number of the players were, were, were tweeting about uh Peyton Plour mm-hmm. and and uh and you know of course at that point he was still 100 percent and ready to play the, the, the next game so um you know at least we we have some information now it, it, it's good for them to know that uh that Isaac Dotson's going to be playing because he's, he's really been an anchor in the middle of that defense especially with uh with Peyton Fleur out, but, but I, I think either way that it, it, it would be fine there just, just because John Woods has, has really turned into quite a player in, in mm-hmm. only a few weeks, and, and Nate Ryder's playing plan respectable enough to where he, he kind of deserves a spot on the field, whether he's starting or, or coming off the bench. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think having Isaac Dotson this week is especially important just because there, there's a chance that you play uh, running, black, running back like Royce Freeman, and you're, you're going to need every good tackler out there on the field to bring the guy down. and. Uh, can I have been wild too? They're, they're second string running back, and he's, he scored six touchdowns this year too. So um, to, to, to have all that, all the hands you can have this week, I, I think is really important. This is uh, obviously their first road game uh, of the season, and now we get to the point in the year where the flip side of having five straight home games in September is five of your last seven are on the road. So the first road trip of the year, you don't have to go very far, but you have to go to a pretty hostile place to play and a better Oregon team than we were expecting, regardless of whether they have Justin Herbert or not, they won't. He broke his collarbone. What are you expecting from them in terms of uh, their preparedness and how they come out of the gate uh, on Saturday in primetime on Fox in front of a crowd like that uh, down in Eugene? Yeah, well, I think time will tell just, just because, you know, last season the team did lose its last two games away from uh, Martin Stadium, uh, including the Holiday Bowl and the game at Colorado. So, I, I think they're anxious to get on the road. We, we talked to Jamal Jamal Marl, uh, excuse me, Jamal Marl last week, and, and yeah, he mentioned he was excited to get on the road because he, he really likes the, the cheeseburgers that Alaska Airlines serves. So <laughs> maybe that'll be the fuel for the for, for the Cougars uh, for uh, for Saturday's game in Eugene. But yeah, this, this, this really is a, an intense atmosphere. I've, I've been to a few games at Eugene Stadium, and it, it's one of the loudest stadiums, stadiums you'll, you'll, you'll you'll ever go to. So it's going to be hostile, regardless of. Whether the, the Ducks are, are the team that, that they once once were, I, I think they're going to sell out that stadium. And it's, uh, people just go to games there every week because it's kind of what they do. It's tradition, and, and mm-hmm. they're going to make it hard on the Cougars. So this will be a good test. They're, they're going to play in some, some tough road stadiums down the road, um, especially Utah and, and, of course, the Apple Cup. So mm-hmm. this is a good test for them. It, it, it's an Oregon team that isn't uh, probably as, as good as the UW team or, or maybe the Utah team that they're going to see. So I think it's, it's, it's a good way to kind of slowly – kind of get themselves in a, in a rhythm of, of finally playing some more road games. You're going to have a lot of young guys who have never played on the road before, Jihad Woods, Renard Bell, a lot, a lot of these guys that are playing right now have never uh, have never really done this. So I think it'll be a good experience. And like you said, they have uh, they have four more after this one to, to, to finish the season. One more question I want to leave you with, and we didn't get to it earlier, but it's kind of a it, – it's a biggie, and at least it's developing into a big one for me because obviously Alex Grinch's defense is – 
so exceptional this year, and he got his first shot as a defensive coordinator with Washington State. Uh, the season is seven regular season games longer than that, and after the regular season's over, that's usually when we start seeing some defections from coaches going to different programs. Do you think that's something Washington State needs to worry about at all after this season, or do we probably need to wait till the end of the season to really and truly start worrying? I, I would wait till the end of the season just because I know Alex Grinch doesn't seem like the, the type of guy that would leave middle of the season or, or even really address something like that in the middle of the season. He's he's uh, he's, he's on board with, with the Mike Leach mindset that every week is every next game is the most important game and, and only focusing on one thing at a time. So I, I, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's something that he's thought about, but I, you know, I, I don't think it's something that he'll, uh, he'll probably consider until the end of the season. I, I could be wrong. Um, you know, I've only covered the team for, for about a few months now, so I don't know <laughs> Alex Grinch that well. But um, and I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if he did have some opportunities. This uh, this defense is, is 11th in the country in total defense right now, and it's funny the offense is actually 19th. You probably would have never you know imagined those, those, no. those two units uh, doing that. You know, four or five years ago when, when Mike Leach, uh, I guess six years ago when Mike Leach first got here. Um, so 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 they're really one of the better defensive units in, in the Pac-12 and then maybe the country right now, which which is impressive to see uh, the, the turnaround that, that, that he's made and, and kind of with, with the speedy mindset that they're not getting a lot of big, huge athletic guys, that they're, they're getting smaller, quick guys, and it's, it's working for them. I, I think Hercules Moff is a perfect example. He's not your prototypical uh, you know, Pac-12 defensive tackle. He's not uh, you know, the, the, the size of a defensive tackle you're going to see at USC or, or UW or Utah, but it's, it's, it's clearly working and uh, when, when you're the 11th uh, ranked team in the country, you, you can't really argue with the results. Theo Lawson also gets his first road trip covering WSU this weekend. Uh, I don't know if he gets cheeseburgers on the airplane or not, but uh, he certainly gets he at least gets airport food this weekend. So you got that to look forward to, right? Yeah, well, I'm, a, I'm on a Southwest plane, so I'm, I'm, not, sure, I'm not sure if the, uh, the cheeseburgers stack up uh, on Southwest. But Ooh, Southwest. On those, those Alaska flights one of these days to see what <laughs> Jamal Marlowe's talking about. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Center Hour. We're joined now by Ryan Thorburn of the Eugene Register Guard. He covers the University of Oregon's varsity football team. Not that I there's a junior varsity football team at all, but uh, that is his job. He covers Oregon Ducks football. Uh, first thing I wanted to get to, Ryan, uh, just an evaluation of the Cal game, what you saw. It seemed to be a pretty thorough dismantling of the Cal Golden Bears, and you know it, it didn't really seem close just looking at the box score, uh, a 45-24 win for Oregon. Uh, over a, a Cal team that uh, hung with USC pretty well the week previous. What would your evaluation of that game be? Well, it was a very bizarre game where, you know, Oregon started dropping like flies with Boyd Freeman going down, then Justin Herbert, um, one of their best receivers, Dylan Mitchell, 
Uh, they lost one of their starting inside linebackers for the season. I mean, it was just incredible how many injuries they had during the game and even missing a bunch of guys um, to start with um, and just really didn't miss a beat. Their running game dominated. Um, their improved defense came up with seven sacks, 11 tackles for loss. So uh, it was impressive that they dominated a team even without some of their star players. Mm-hmm. Five games into the Willie Taggart era, things, I, I think, to me, I thought Oregon would be a little more down this year. I, You know, not, not a very good season last season. Anytime you have to transition between coaches, I think it can take a while to get used to them. But 4-1 and one so far this season, are things going better uh, about where fans expected? Uh, what do you think would be their evaluation so far of Willie Taggart? Yeah, I mean, they were picked to finish fifth in the North Division, and obviously they were coming off a, a really bad season, a historically bad season on defense. Um, so I think a 4-1 start is, you know, a, is exceeding expectations. Um, Justin Herbert, though, um, is going to be one of those elite quarterbacks that's talked about next year, like Rosen and, and Darnold are this year. Unfortunately for the Ducks, he's going to be out for a month with a broken collarbone. Mm-hmm. So um, I think with Herbert, they really could have contended for that number two spot in the North without him during this tough stretch. They probably will actually meet those expectations, which is unfortunate because they were a much better team than projected before these injuries. You mentioned Justin Herbert. His collarbone is broken. He's going to miss uh, the WSU game. Taylor Alley, his backup, who WSU fans know from the 2015 edition of this game, and last year for that matter as well. He seemed to get a little dinged up. What's the status at quarterback for Oregon? I know uh, Royce Freeman also may have gotten hurt, and he may be missing uh, this week against WSU as well, correct? Correct. We uh, we get to watch 20 minutes of practice, and during that window today, uh, Tuesday, Taylor Alley was back um, taking snaps along with true freshman Braxton Burmeister. Those are the two guys we're competing to start this weekend. Um, they're very similar players. They can both run and pass and do the read option stuff, which maybe Oregon's having second thoughts about at this point. But um, they're, they're very similar, but Ali has more experience, I would say. Burmeister's a lot more talented. Mm-hmm. I think we'll probably see both, both during this October stretch. Uh, as for Freeman, he was in full pads, cleats, everything, but he... Uh, did not participate in any of the drills during the media window. In fact, they had all of their injured players um, out of sight, so I don't know if that was by design or what, but Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I would say Freeman's still very questionable. Okay. What is the biggest difference that uh, fans are going to notice with this offense compared to Chip Kelly, Mark Helfrich? Because I think, you know, what, and you know, for that matter, all Pac-12 fans might be more used to the the Chip Kelly, Mark Helfrich offenses of quick to the line and some – some option reads and quick passes as well. What's the biggest difference between those offenses and the one that Willie Taggart's team runs this year? Well, there's not really a big difference at all. Um, okay. Willie calls it the Gulf, Gulf Coast offense. I mean, it's it's heavy run, it's heavy read option. Um, obviously, with Herbert, they have more of a dynamic passing game, similar to what they had when Mariota was here. Um but it's not that much different. I think the offensive line has a different attitude. Um, there was a real emphasis on them to actually gain a lot of weight in the weight room over the winter and be more physical instead of, you know, kind of the speed zone blocking 
um, approach, but really it's very similar. Um, it's just a spread offense where you know they're going to run more than they pass, and they're going to do both uh, quite well when when they're getting first downs. What you know, no, I know, no, Justin Herbert, Royce Freeman may or may not be there. You mentioned uh, another wide receiver maybe out as well, but even then, I think Oregon's going to have some offensive weapons. They are still the Oregon Ducks. They're still going to be very talented. Who else does WSU's defense need to look out for on the offensive side of the ball? Because, like I said, you know, inevitably there are going to be some good players on this roster, regardless of who's uh, hurt or on the bench or what have you. Yeah, I mean Freeman. Um gets all the headlines for obvious reasons. He's an all-American talent. Um, but I think they were prepared if he went to the NFL that they had other guys who were capable of starting. Kenai Benoit came off the bench and had 138 yards rushing and two touchdowns. Uh, Tony Brooks-James added 76 yards and a touchdown. So they really have three or four guys, even without Freeman, that are, are quality Pac-12 uh, running backs. And then they're going to get um, tight end Jacob Breland back, who was out last week. And that'll really be key for the new quarterback to kind of lean on him, maybe with some short stuff. Um, if Charles Nelson's able to go at all, that would really help him as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to look defensively here because I think when Willie Taggart's hire of Jim Levitt was, was, for me, the scariest hire he made because of what Jim Levitt uh, did with that defense at Colorado. So what's, what is his Pepsi-fueled magic? What is the, what is the Pepsi-fueled magic he's working on this Oregon defense that has made them, I, I, they, they seem to be much better than, not that the bar was much lower than you could go with their defense last year, but they seem to be playing much better so far this season. Yeah, I mean, Willie Taggart, his first hire obviously was Levitt. That was the emphasis to get a quality defensive coordinator. They're paying him a lot of money to turn things around. So far, he's earning that money. Um, but the other guy, Joe Salavea, that they stole from mm-hmm. Washington State, has made a really big difference with the defensive line. Um, when you look at Henry Mondu's back, but he's playing so much better now. Um, Jalen Jock, Sam, he's been around forever. He's done nothing. Now he's unblockable. Um, and then they have some real beef in the middle now, a true freshman named uh, Jordan Scott, who's about 335 pounds after losing 20 pounds. Uh, they have Scott Pagano, a graduate transfer from Clemson, who's new. So they just have um, old guys and new guys working well together, and, and their defensive line is just unrecognizable compared to last season. What is the one thing that that defense is doing better than anything else? Because like, you mentioned the defensive line, and I'm just looking at their stat sheet last night. They have 20 sacks already through five games this season, and I believe over 40 tackles for a loss, too. Is that the one, Are they getting pressure in the backfield better than anything else, or is there another thing this defense does better than that, you think? Just consistent pressure, and, you know, they're allowing, you know, a lot less points per game. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they were a team that had um, mental errors seemingly every game that led to long touchdowns. They're not giving up those as many explosive plays and and uh, you know Troy Dye, if you remember last year on one of the worst defenses in the country, was a star player and he's just taken that to a whole another level. He's been moved to the inside linebacker spot and uh, every game he leads the team in tackles and mm-hmm. you know he's probably going to lead the Pac-12 in tackles. Is there anybody else in the defense that WSU needs to be worried about? I mean, you know, especially because Oregon struggled against the air raid last year. 
Um, I, you know, like you've been talking about, though, they struggled against practically everybody. Is there another guy that WSU needs to worry about specifically on defense, maybe more than anybody else? Well, and I think Tyree Robinson will be pretty motivated this week. He was uh, ejected with a targeting call early in the Cal game. He's a fifth-year senior safety, and Oregon's going to need him to play really, really well. Uh, against Luke Falk, um, so I think he's a key. Um, they're a little thin at safety right now, and I think that's an area that Falk will be able to exploit a little bit. But Tyree is a player who's been around forever, and he's you know a potential All Pac 12 player now that he's playing with a better defensive line. Mm-hmm. Give me a prediction. Uh, what you think is going to be happening on Saturday? I know Oregon's a favorite by a couple of points. In Eugene, that to me not as out of whack as it is to some Coug fans. It's you know, it's, it's Oregon and it's in Eugene and it's the first road game WSU's played all year. But uh, we're still in early in the week, obviously. So if you had to have a prediction for me right now, uh, just uh, you can just say Oregon or WSU wins or a final score, whatever you'd like. But what do you, how do you see it playing out on Saturday? Well, I think that that line is very fishy, which makes you wonder what Las Vegas knows that no one else knows. Because mm-hmm. I mean, Oregon's without their quarterback potentially some other very key players. And here is Washington State. They just beat USC. They have Luke Falk. Um, their defense is really playing well. Uh, I, I mean, I always look at the quarterbacks, and you cannot pick Taylor Alley or Braxton Burmeister, no matter how their running game is going, over Luke Falk. So I think Washington State is probably going to win this one. Um, I think it could still be relatively high scoring, even though both defenses are improved. But uh, – you have to like Washington State for sure. I mean, they've handled Oregon two years in a row, and this is an even better opportunity. So uh, I think Washington State keeps their uh, playoff dreams alive, and Oregon starts what could be a very long October. Ryan Thorburn covers the Ducks again for the Eugene Register Guard. Make sure you follow all his coverage all week. It's excellent uh, if you need to get some updates, especially on how Royce Freeman's doing all week. Hopefully uh, we'll get some updates uh, in that regard throughout the week as we go. Thank you, Ryan, again for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. Appreciate it. and Ryan Thorburn for joining us on this edition of the Kook Center Hour. Uh, one thing I want to get to before we do our Dunderhead of the Week and Ask Michael Anything, of which we have a good crop of all kinds of good stuff for. Don't know why I went Southern there. Um, as everybody knows who listens to this show on a regular basis, you follow me on Twitter, whatever else, I am a proponent of rushing the field. And maybe not necessarily an opponent, but I don't have a problem with it in pretty much any situation. I, I just don't have a problem with it. The old curmudgeons, you know, act like you've been there before, blah, 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 blah. Again, the longer short of it is, they're all students. 
or most of the field rushers are students most of the time for the, you know, the more what you, they would consider borderline ones. They're students. They haven't been there before. Calm down. And it's a joyous occasion. Let them run on the field if they want. Now, having said that regarding Friday's field rush, I, you know, obviously I'm perfectly fine with that. I mean, beat a top five team at home, especially USC on a Friday night in front of a national audience and everybody wants to pour on the field, pour onto the field. However, some video emerged of a USC player, I don't want to say decking because that would imply a punch, but pushing over or hitting in a football sense, one of the fans rushing onto the field over. And a lot of outrage on the part of WSU fans that how dare a USC player do that? How dare he do that? Charge him with assault and battery and he needs to be suspended, blah, 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 blah. I <laughs> I want to pre- I'm preface this with saying this first. I'm not condoning this. I'm not condoning that kind of violence towards another individual. It's not acceptable to do. It's it's not acceptable in in that in really any circumstance and or that circumstance. However, when you rush the field you are trespassing. You are literally trespassing. Because if at any other point in that game, when there isn't a flood of human beings coming over every wall imaginable inside of Martin Stadium, you would be arrested for trespassing and charged with trespassing. You are literally in their area. And at Martin Stadium... The visiting team has to walk back across the field to get to the tunnel to go to their locker room. So USC has to go across that those fans rushing the field. Okay? They have to get across the field out of Martin Stadium. Now again, I'm not condoning the behavior of literally leveling someone who is running onto the field. I'm not, I'm not condoning that. That's not good. That's bad. And Clay Helton said today they've dealt with it internally. And I'm fine with that. But you are trespassing. And you are responsible for yourself when you're out there. You need to do everything you can to avoid the other team's players. I'm not going to get worked up and angry about this kid doing that. And calling for him to be charged, even though WSU police are looking into it. I don't I I personally wouldn't charge him, but and not like he's ever gonna come back to Pullman to face arrest for it anyway, but I again I, I it's a complicated feeling for me because I certainly don't condone the behavior. However, you are you are in their space. That is their space to feel safe from the from any kind of interaction with another fan. And that video, it, it, that fan was just running onto the field. It certainly looked like no previous interaction with that player at all. Whatever. But inside those walls, that is their space to feel safe away from fans. Okay, when you are invading that space. You are committing a crime. You're committing a crime of trespassing. 
But because everybody else is doing it, we as a football-watching society and as football fans have accepted that that is okay. And more importantly, ain't no police force in the world going to be throwing around 2,000 pairs of handcuffs or however many people were out there. Okay, they're just not going to do that. It's impractical and it's stupid. But you are literally trespassing when you're out there. And you are responsible for yourself and your safety when you are out there. Because the one thing that always gives me pause about how I, not necessarily, you know, maybe I do encourage it, but when I say, I don't care if you want to rush the field, just do it. I don't have a problem with it. Is people do legitimately get hurt. Broken bones have occurred during field rushing. And it scares the bejesus out of schools because of the liability in that case. And I, I totally understand that. You are responsible for yourself when you go out there. And you, yeah, you, you could say, yeah, he was being responsible and somebody else hit him. That's their space. And an 18 to 22 year old who just to fly all the way to Pullman from LA and lose a football game like that, any 18 to 22 year old is not going to be in a good mood. In fact, I'm surprised this doesn't happen more often. I, again, I don't condone that behavior. It's not good. I don't like that. Nobody likes that. But I just, I can't work myself up into a fervor over this happening. You're in their space. Had it been a child? Yeah, now we're talking about stuff. You know, again, circumstances being what they are, I'm just, I can't, I can't get that worked up about it. I'm sorry. You're responsible for yourself. Because that is their space. It is their area. And the minute you go down there, you are trespassing. All those guys who run on the field at Safeco during baseball games, they spend the night in jail. You are committing a crime by being down there. But again, as a society, as college football fans, we have decided... That in those cases, it is okay to do if everyone is doing it. And it is a joyous thing. I just, I'm, I got a hard time getting worked up about this one, guys. I, I just, I can't do it. I, I certainly feel bad for the person who got laid out. Because as I said, there's there's no way that behavior is acceptable from that USC player. But you have to look out for yourself when you're going down there because that is not your space. It just isn't. And you need to protect yourself. And I don't I don't mean that in the sense of, you know, get back up and pop the guy in the mouth. But you need to make sure you stay away from anybody that can do that. Because that is their area. That is their space where they need to feel safe. Rush the field whenever you dang well please. I will so rarely have a problem with it. Because I'm not a curmudgeon. And even though I have a lawn to tell you to stay off of, I won't do it. But I just, I'm having a hard time getting angry about this one. I, I, you know, it sucks. But... 
You're in their area. You're literally committing a crime. You're trespassing. Stay away from them. Or wait for them to get off the field and then rush the field. Dunderhead of the Week. Ask Michael anything. Coming up next here on the Duke Center Hour. Head of the week time. Uh, this, uh, so this past weekend's game is the first one I was able to stay uh, in Pullman or Moscow for. We were at the Super 8 in Moscow, home of the free waffle breakfast, which was fine. It wasn't anything special. It was a you know, Super 8, so whatever. Um, I got there at about, about 2.15, I would say, uh, on Friday afternoon. So it's about 4 or 3 o'clock, which is normal check-in time when you would kind of expect your room to be ready. Uh, but the friend I was there with uh, had gotten there early, and I said, hey, if you get there before me, go in, see if we can just check in early, even just drop our bags off, even if we uh, can't get in the room. Um, we're met with, no, you cannot check in. You can't even, you can't do anything before 3 o'clock. Uh, and then there was a line out the door of 10 people at 3, and the person told us, no, you can't check in before 3, left, leaving one person to check what grew into a longer line of people in uh, after her. I don't know a lot about the hospitality business management industry, and perhaps I'm barking up the wrong tree here, or perhaps I'm issuing a grievance that is not valid. And if I am, please feel free to tell me so, because as a guy who used to work customer service, there's nothing I hate more than invalid customer service complaints. However... If you know there is a big-ass football game later that day, and you probably should because you work at a hotel in Pullman or Moscow, either stick around to help check in for a little while or allow people to check in and hold on to their stuff until their rooms are ready. I don't think that's too big of an ask in that case. Probably not too big of a deal one would think and it saves me from having to stand in line for an extra half hour and cut in to my Valhalla time my Coog time my Fieldhouse time it does not make Michael a happy pre-gamer so just let me check in early next time huh big ask Michael anything let's do it now ask Michael Anything. We get so many questions this week. I love it. We get so many. Let's try to get through them quicker. At Zoo34, confirmation by his great name on Twitter. Curb your enthusiasm, fan thoughts on the first episode of the new season. I've never watched it, honestly. It's again one of those shows I've talked about before. I don't I don't watch good TV. 
Because when I watch TV, I want my brain to just be shut off. So it keeps me away. It's, and it's not a matter of me being you know, like a contrarian. Like, oh, I don't watch Game of Thrones because everybody else does. I just don't. I just My brain turns off. If everybody else wants to watch it, that's great. That's fine. My wife loves the show. Watch, like, looks up fan theories and stuff. She's totally into it. At Kelsey Preston, 33. Yeah, my sister. What was your favorite part of the USC game? Uh, the win. I like that part. Uh, at Bubba Crowley, how dumb are shirts like this, i.e. the Oregon game last year, now this? One that somebody made with the date and the score of the game on it. Yeah, I... Don't buy that shirt. Please don't buy that shirt. At Kylan, Kylan Robinson, how does this make any sense? WSU had, or uh, ESPN's predictor matchup giving a, Oregon a two-third chance to win. Like we talked about earlier, I mean, it's Oregon's much better and historically has been better you know, more recently. And this is WSU's first road game of the year. So just to, until you start winning this regularly and being this good regularly, you're not going to get the respect I think you should get. Uh, at WSU Brady 27, if Grinch gets another job this year, how do we convince Moose and Leach to promote Coach Manning to D.C. or Co-D.C. Phelps and Manning? I don't like co-defensive anything or even offensive anything. Um, I, I wouldn't be opposed to Roy Manning, but then again, I don't know... You know the, you know his philosophies on defense. He'd still have to interview for the job and whatnot, but I wouldn't totally object to it. I just don't know enough about it yet, and I also am not an expert in that area too. At V Whitney 50, Victor Whitney, what's the best place to get a duck for a tailgating barbecue? I'd say hunt one, but I I don't hunt. I'm not I'm not very good with hunting because that involves outdoors, and I'm not good at that. I'm very poor at that. At C. Anderson, 6789, can we put a buyout on Grinch if he doesn't leave after this year? Is that a thing? He actually does have a buyout for this year because, as Wazoo's Joe Boo says to him afterwards on Twitter, he does have a two-year contract. So there is a there is a buyout, actually. At Snow Coog, Walter Bono, Bonhofer, bon, I'm so sorry, Walter, good lord. My pronunciation is just bad. Pants or no pants? I'm still not wearing pants. Why is SoundCloud trying to silence your score predictions? I don't know. We've had problems uploading the, fr uploading the Friday Shorty for a couple of weeks now. Just terrible. At Totes McStose, Eric Stos, Autzen Stadium is one of my favorite venues outside of Martin. What are some stadiums you'd love to see the Cougs take on an opponent in? I'd love to see him in the big house because I have family in Michigan. I'd love to see him in the big house. I'd also, I would love to go to... Um, to Notre Dame Stadium again, and then maybe somebody somewhere in the SEC. That that'd be a lot of fun, I think, too. Uh, what happens first? WSU makes the playoffs in football, or the Mariners make the playoffs again? That from Stuwak Nine Ken Stewart. Uh, it's it's the it's the Mariners. It's it's very hard to get in the college football playoff. At random villain Ryan, is there any better hype man than Coach Manning? No, I loved his victory video where he asked the stuffed cougar what he thought. That was funny as hell. At Zane RM, Zane Murphy with no drive to Pullman this weekend. What's one thing to do with their Saturday before the Cougs kick? Come over to my place, College Football Command Center. We watch a ton of college football. Tons of it. At I'm Adam Hawk, Adam Hawk. How come the Cougars aren't as good as the Huskies? Adam Hawk is the executive producer of the Jim Rome Show. Uh, they, they don't have as good players. I mean, I just, it's, about, it's about all I got. At Jimmy the Coog, Jimmy Morgan, why is WSU ignoring at least publicly the demand for more retail jersey options for fans? I, I don't think they, I, I mean, they're ignoring it publicly because, I again, I think it's a Nike issue. And you don't want to say something like publicly that can be viewed as throwing Nike under the bus. So I think it's just, yeah. 
I think I think that's I think that's what it is. I don't I don't think they're ignoring it per se. At Vince G fifty five, Vince Grippy, our old friend. Do you think Mike Leach will pay WSU's fine for rushing the field, asking for a friend? Probably not. I'm still hoping for those Valhalla drinks he was rumored to be buying uh, after the Apple Cup a few years ago. I'm waiting for that. At CQGate 606, what's your favorite jean cut, boot, straight leg, etc.? Did you know women's jeans are stretchy? Seems like that would be way more comfortable. I agree that would be way more comfortable. I'm, I'm preferable to boot cut. I, I don't know. I just It's what I've always worn, and I'm sure there are better cuts of boots out there, but that's what I prefer. I'm going to save my favorite question for last year, though. Uh, from at Aaron Han Media, Aaron Han, have you ever committed assault after someone stole your pork roll sandwich? This comes from an Associated Press story in Hackettstown, New Jersey. A New Jersey man who police say punched another man several times over a stolen pork roll sandwich is facing charges. Hackettstown police say they were called to an apartment on reports of a fight over a stolen pork roll. Police found the victim with swelling on his face. They say the fight early Saturday morning may have also started over beer. It's the least surprising little addition ever. And then the suspect and the victim knew each other. Police arrested the 19-year-old Hackettstown man on simple assault charges. <laughs> they have started over beer. No kidding. Uh, I've never committed assault, but I would consider it at least. Don't steal my pork sandwich when I'm drunk. That's all I'm saying. We'll talk to you later this week. Hopefully we get the Friday show uploaded on the Cook Center Hour. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical.